0: Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when we start to look at, and we, when we try to factor our lives as if God doesn't exist, whether we do it on purpose or accidentally, when we start to factor our lives as if God doesn't exist or he doesn't have anything to say into how I live, that's when we start to get off. And that's a really kind of weird space for me to start with. I normally like to tell a story or something to get you thinking and to just kind of start with, you know, the book of Proverbs, who, you know, you may or may not have read very much of it, is kind of a weird place to start. But this is kind of a strange chapter um, that we're going to be talking in. We've been in a series called Dead Inside, and we're facing hypocrisy in the church. And we're using a church uh, from hundreds and hundreds of years ago in the city of Corinth as a case study. There were things going on in that church. There was hypocrisy in that church. And so we're going to read about what they did and about how they were instructed to respond as instructions for our lives today. That's that's our whole series, right? So we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 1. If you're using a story Bible this morning, that's on page 791. 791. And uh, as you're turning there and getting ready, before we dive into this, I'd like for us to pray together this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good. Um, You have done the insurmountable work (laughs) of taking sinful human beings who want nothing but to serve themselves, laying your own life down for them and making it possible so that they can talk to an infinite creator God who is perfect and holy and beyond themselves. Um, We don't have any standing in and of ourselves before you, except for that which you give to us. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, as we seek to understand um, what was going on in this church hundreds of years ago, Lord, would you help us to understand the things that are happening in our hearts today? Spirit, would you guide us and would you instruct us as we come to your word together as your body and your church? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians. Oh, I lost it. There we go. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to start by reading the first uh, six verses. We're not going to get all the way through that first paragraph. <clears throat> so chapter 6, verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you who is wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. We're going to pause there for a second. See, this, these, this section of verses is, is a little bit confusing, but I want you to imagine that you've taken some virtual reality goggles, and you got some virtual reality goggles, but it's not virtual reality, it's future reality. All right. So imagine you could put a headset on and see into the future the way the future is going to be. How much time would you spend with those goggles on your face? I don't know. All right, y'all aren't into that illustration. That's okay. It's a little bit of a picture of what is going on here. He's he's talking about a specific situation and what's going on, and in order to address the attitude that the church is supposed to have, he's saying, y'all don't even realize what's going to happen in the future. All of these verses are pointed towards a future that— we need to be aware of, because it's not that the ends justify the means, but the ends empower the means. If you know where you're going to end up, and you know what's going to be going on, then to take that one next step, and that one next step, and that one next step, to live out the means, knowing where you're going to get to, the ends empower the means. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what's the situation that's going on? Remember, this is Paul. He's, the, he's the, the pastor who planted this church. He started it years and years ago, and he's been away for a couple of years. And he's been hearing rumors about different things that, going, that are going on in the church, and he's writing this letter now to say, hey, this is what I'm hearing about you. You should probably get in line here. You should probably correct this. I want to face this hypocrisy that you're living out in your church. And so as he's writing this letter, he says, hey, I have heard that you guys are going to small claims court. Like, brother's going against brother, and there's there's some kind of defrauding or something that's going on, and you guys are going to small claims court to get this stuff settled. Like, isn't that the kind of thing that, that you should be able to deal with amongst yourselves? Isn't that the kind of thing that... that, that that you should be able to handle within the church. And here's a deep cut. Here's a deep, deep cut. If you've been following with us through our shiny Things series before, remember they were talking about how wise they were and how they had this superior wisdom that was from God? And he says, you don't understand divine wisdom because divine wisdom is upside down. And Jesus, the Lord of all, came to be crucified, and now the crucifixion is our banner. Like, aren't, he says, deep, deep cut, aren't, isn't there anybody wise enough in your congregation to settle this dispute? Can you, can you just taste kind of his attitude of what's going on? He's, he's amazed. And why is he amazed? He's amazed because of this future reality that's going to happen. And I'm just going to tell you that this is there because I can't give you a whole lot of details, but I want you to understand that if you've put your faith in Jesus and, you, and Jesus has redeemed you and you are a saint, that Jesus says at the end of all things that you are going to be a judge that you will sit with Jesus and that you will judge over certain cases, maybe even angels. And, and we could go off and, and trace that theme through the Bible, and all I know is that it's there. Like, you, Jesus just says it sometimes. He says, hey, in the future, you guys are going to judge these spiritual things, and it it's going to be crazy, but I'm not going to give you all the details about it. Like, it's just going to happen. And I don't know what it all means, but if, if that's the case if we're going to stand before spiritual beings that we kind of like have a weird relationship with, like they're spiritual and we're physical and they can, like the demons can do these weird things and we're always like, oh, Satan made me do it. You know, we have this weird relationship. If we're going to stand beside Jesus and say yay or nay to the angels, like shouldn't we be able to have some kind of discernment in ourselves, spiritual discernment, spiritual wisdom to be able to say like, hey, you probably ought not to be stealing from your brother. The ends empower the means. Because we're instruments of God's divine wisdom, of Jesus's divine wisdom. See, Jesus has all the wisdom. He planned the world out. He created it line by line. He spoke it into existence. And now, in this phase of history, he is taking normal people. Todd, Sarah, Barry, he's taking normal people and using them as instruments of his divine wisdom in other people's lives. See, as, as, as Americans, uh, North Americans, I don't know if this is a Western thing, I don't know how to describe it, but I know for me, there, I get this idea that, like, between me and God, you know, we, we get things sorted out, just me and him, and, like, whatever I do, whatever my relationship is with God, it doesn't really affect other people, and I don't need to get in other people's business, and God's going to deal with them on that stuff, and I don't have to get involved. Like, here's a verse that says, hey, get involved in other people's lives because you are an instrument of Jesus' divine wisdom. Isn't anybody wise enough to be able to settle this? Now, what I love about this passage is he doesn't say who's right? He doesn't come into the case and settle it. He doesn't say, well, yeah, this guy defrauded the other guy. But he is pointing out like, hey, this, this shouldn't be going to a court that sees the world and has to judge the world as if God did not exist. Because the secular uh, governing bodies have to make a decision whether you believe in Jesus or not. Like, that's the the power that's entrusted to them. They have a certain way that they need to operate. And so if they're going and they're making evaluations on your case as if God did not exist, like, can you trust that that will be perfect justice? And it's a small claim. Right? Okay. So you say, all right, Michael, like, I get that that this is in the Bible. Like, I'm going to judge... Angels, that's a little bit weird this morning. I don't think I was ready for that. I'm not, like, I'm pretty smart, but, like, I'm not really that smart. Like, can I take this seriously? I'm not really that wise. I would just invite you to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where, where we started our shiny thing series, where, where he says over and over again, God takes the weak and the powerless in the world and uses those things to shame the strong and the wise we have this idea that God wants to use the people that are polished and the people that have it all together and the people that, that, you know, the people that would get elected to to be the CEO or whatever. Like, that's not God's economy. Jesus, with infinite resources, who has the whole world at his disposal, disposable, who has the whole world at his disposal, comes to earth, and who does he select to be his followers? Fishermen, tax collectors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't get why he does it, but I kind of think it's because his purpose is his glory. If he takes all the best people and all like the top two percent out of Harvard and uses those people to change the world, it was like, wow, what was their process? Like they're real smart. If he uses fishermen, they're like, what happened? God had to do something crazy here. And so if you hear that Jesus, I'm going to stand with Jesus one day and he's going to judge me. I'm okay with that kind of, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but, but then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to judge angels. Like, what is that? It's like, oh, like Jesus is going to get glory for that too. <laughs> because there ain't any way I'm getting to that by myself. The ends empower the means. If I know I'm going to judge angels one day, then maybe I ought to walk with Jesus before I get to that day. Can I get an amen? Yeah, okay. So let's let's read these last two verses here. Verse Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> verses 7 and 8. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Listen, so he's, he says, look, I'm not saying who's right and wrong. I'm saying you're both wrong. He said, our example for how we do things is Jesus. And Jesus, who has every right, who lived a perfect life, who lived without sin, was condemned a criminal's death and took it. And so if somebody's being a little bit squirrely and stealing from you, like, don't you trust that the good judge is going to take care of that in the end? Like, why not rather be defrauded? And, And on the other side of that, like, you shouldn't be defrauding people. Like you shouldn't be taking advantage of people and using your status in order to make the courts work in your favor, like it's just, it's just not working. So the question that popped up for me, and maybe this is a question that popped up for you, is do Christians have any need for a secular government judicial system? Like, isn't Paul saying here, like, we don't have, we work outside that system. No, he's not saying that we work outside that system. But he's saying this is a small claim, and you guys are so worked up about your own rights that you've forgotten the person that you say you represent. If I say that I'm a representative of Jesus, and yet I refuse to let people say bad things about me, like then I've completely missed what he did when he went to the cross. Like I don't have to defend myself when somebody says something nasty about me. I know it's not true. Jesus knows it ain't true. Satan knows it ain't true. And he's still trying to use it against me. I don't have to defend myself. Do you you see? We've got to think seriously about... Our relationship with government because it exists and it serves a purpose and the Bible in Romans describes the, the government systems as being servants of God. They have a role and it's an important role but we should also understand that we have some personal responsibility church to be able to solve issues amongst ourselves. We can look each other in the eye and say yeah I don't know what the right answer is but this seems like a decent compromise. Can we live with this? We can, we can lay our rights down for the benefit of another person. We can, we can see a need and meet a need without expecting any results. What is that? Love. Church, we can love. We can say, I don't know what the clear right, right and wrong answer is, and sometimes we can say it is, but it's not, like, the, the person is important. Like, I want to love people, and that's what Jesus did. He loved people so much, he laid his own life down. So we're instruments of God's divine wisdom. I just want to throw back as just kind of an illustration. Let's tie all this together. It's the same thing that I said with, with, with Kid Nation. Can you imagine that there were two teachers that had a dispute. Like, I don't know, two teachers of the same grade had a dispute. What's your teacher's name? Okay, uh, name two teachers that you got. Mr. Sloan and Ms. Murphy. So imagine Mr. Sloan and Ms. Murphy have a dispute. They're fighting with each other. Um, Ms. Murphy stole uh, Mr. Sloan's pencils. I don't know what it is. So imagine that those two teachers come to your class and say... Hey, can you guys decide for us, like, who's right and who's wrong here? You'd, you'd pick the math teacher because you don't like him. Okay. Now, come test time, come exam time, because you're coming up on that, could you trust those two teachers to grade your papers knowing that they couldn't even resolve a dispute between themselves? Like, Would you would be like, I thought y'all were supposed to be teaching, yeah. So it's, it's like this thing where in the future we're going to have this, this authority with Jesus to judge and we go to these, these other people that we are end up going to judge somehow and, and, and we shoot ourselves in the foot. When the church can't communicate and can't reconcile amongst themselves, we shoot ourselves in the foot and we know this. We're not surprised. And it doesn't take us long, like you get two people together. It doesn't take us long to disagree about stuff. And disagreeing with each other in the church is not a sin. I don't have a problem with disagreement. I don't even have a problem with conflict. I don't have a problem with strong disagreement. But what I do have is a problem with people that can't sit down in a room together and have a conversation about why they disagree, especially if we're representatives of Jesus. We can do this, church. Is it pleasant? Not very often. Is it something that we particularly look forward to? Nope. But I'll tell you what, every time I've seen it done, I've seen the people that came into the room who, like, were just worked up and tense and just couldn't handle it. Every time I've seen them genuinely sit down and have the conversation, by the end of it, they're better friends than when we started. See, God uses conflict and God uses those kind of circumstances to actually bring us closer together. If you and I, John, never have any disagreements, then we will never get close. But it's when we disagree and we talk about why we disagree and we love each other, even though we disagree, that's when like, we actually have an investment in the relationship. So do not be surprised when there's conflicts in the church and do not be surprised when somebody in the church says, hey, can't y'all sit down over this and solve this issue? Because we are what Jesus wants to use in each other's lives. I don't know about you, but I looked in the mirror this morning and said, Jesus, I don't know why you want to use me. But I can think of a thousand ways that I screwed up this week. I can think of a thousand different ways that I'm incompetent to do the thing that Jesus is asking me to do. And yet we are instruments of Jesus' divine wisdom in each other's lives. There's one more paragraph here. Verse, uh, excuse me, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards or revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, here's Jesus' divine wisdom in power. You remember a couple of chapters ago, he says, the the kingdom of God does not exist in talk and saying nice things. The kingdom of God exists in power. And here is the power of Jesus on display, that he could walk into the darkest corners of the world and see the most depraved sin and say, I'm going to take that person, I'm going to use them for my glory. I'm going to wash them, and I'm going to lead them forward in order to do the things that I want to do in my life. In their life. They're gonna be my tools. I'm gonna to take them out of whatever grimy corner they're in. I'm gonna wash them and clean them up and I'm gonna be able to use them well. Here's 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 a question. This doesn't always happen perfectly. This is an imperfect illustration. But when you wash your clothes, where do the clothes go after you wash them? After they're cleaned and dried. On the couch? in the laundry basket somewhere, in your room. All right, (laughs) other than my children who aren't present, who goes and washes clothes, runs a whole load of laundry, turns around, and puts them at the bottom of your dirty clothes hamper and puts dirty clothes on top of it? There's a list here that's very similar to the list that was in the previous chapter that we've talked about in this ending, we talked about the week previous. There's a couple of things that have been added. The things that have been added are adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, and thieves. And I want to remind you that these are not people that need to be destroyed. These are not, these are not like, just like, I hate everybody who does that thing and I will never talk to those people. These are, these are symptoms of a heart illness that Jesus came to reconcile. We cannot look at another human being and say there is no hope for you when we know that Jesus has offered to redeem anybody. And that's what he has done for them. And that's his reminder. You guys think you have it all together, you think you, you know, you've got it all sorted out, you think you're so wise. Don't you remember what you were? And here's the the turn: that's what you were. And now you're washed and you're cleaned. And you're set apart. You're folded up. You're put in the drawer ready for use. And there are some of us that we come to Jesus and we get washed and we cleaned and we're so thankful and then we look at ourselves in the mirror and we go, well, I'm not the shirt that I want to be. I must be dirty. And we put ourselves back in the hamper and live as if we were never cleaned. And what he's saying is, hey, if you've been washed and you've been cleaned, live like you've been cleaned. You don't have to carry around the filth anymore. You don't have to go back into the dirty laundry basket. Like, it's done. The process is over. Jesus is the divine launderer. Uh, I mean that in a laundry sense, not a money sense. Y'all got that. Okay, all right, sorry. Wow. I should, I should uh, land this. <clears throat> We're instruments of, of Jesus' divine wisdom. So, are you a disciple of Jesus' divine wisdom? We see it in the Bible, and when we read the Bible and we understand the Bible, and then we apply the Bible, that's divine wisdom. Because wisdom is not a a series of phrases that you can write down in a book. Like, those are wise sayings, that's not wisdom. Wisdom is when you take the, the wise sayings and you actually do something with it. Wisdom is extremely practical. Wisdom is the use of proper knowledge. So are you a disciple of Jesus' divine wisdom? Do you, under, do you want to read the Bible, understand the Bible, and know what it says, what he's trying to communicate in it? And then do you take him seriously when what he says in the word about you and your life? It's not just divine knowledge. It's divine wisdom. It's not just studying a book over there. It's applying it to my heart because the test is coming. I'm, I really don't know what to do with judging angels. It's in there. It's going to happen, but I've got I've to rework some of my categories. The test is going to come. So are we going to be disciples of Jesus' divine wisdom until that day? Do you love at a cost to yourself? Like, are you willing to lay down your rights in order that you might be a witness to another person about who Jesus is? Like, I get, like, it's hard. It's hard to love people. People are really, really difficult. But when I'm looking at this, when I'm looking at somebody and going, God, like, you want me to love them? You want me to do that? Like, don't you know what they've done before? And don't you know what they did to me? And that hurt my feelings. And I don't really want to. And he says, look, like, I died willingly, infinite cosmic power in the universe, and I let a Roman soldier drive a nail through my arm. I willingly hung and suffocated on a cross so that your sin might be forgiven. Like, I think you can put up with this person's nonsense for an hour. Do we love at a cost to ourselves? We like love when it's a mushy-gushy feeling in the dating series, in the dating stage of a relationship. But when we're 10 years in and the budget isn't getting met, like, it's real hard to love then. Do we love at a cost to ourselves? And have you left behind the ways of the old kingdom? Like, if you were washed, if you were in all of those things and now you have been washed, have you left the dirty clothes hamper? Are you still hanging out in there? If you haven't made that decision, this is your invitation make the decision. Jesus is the only one who's going to be able to stand you up and wash you clean, and you'll be perfectly clean, and it's the only way to get right with God is when Jesus makes it happen. There's nothing that you can do to add to it. There's nothing that you can do to take away from it. It's something that he does by himself. And so the invitation is leave that stuff behind and turn to Jesus. But if you're the kind of person who says, yeah, I already did that, how are you living like you've been cleaned? Because there's times where we say, well, I'm not what I want to be yet, and so maybe I'll just go hang out in the dirty laundry. Because that's comfortable to me. That makes me feel better. I mean, ultimately, it makes me feel worse. But I, I, I really like this. What, it's what I know. It's OK that you have not known the right way to live before. We're all in that same boat. But now we take steps forward, knowing that Jesus is finishing the work that he started in us, and we walk with him. Again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, Ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.